Yeah, I'm going to start learning yoga using my Wii so I can start making some Oh, there cash. you go. I'm going to do white men only yoga. There you it's go. It's going to sell like hotcakes. <laughs> it probably would. A safe actually. space for white men safe to bend. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be called white tears yoga. <laughs> Be you better call it flexio. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I almost killed Kathy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lordy. Oh, okay. Welcome to the Fascinating Podcast. I'm Matt Michelotis. I'm J.R. Foresteros. And I'm Kathy Kong. I waited for the introductions. Usually we try to interrupt whoever's starting, but we have our cameras on, which we don't usually do. And I saw that J.R. was taking a drink and I knew it was my moment. So I jumped in there. Hey, on this week's show, we have a special guest, Dan Hernandez, who's a producer and writer. Uh, he's known for, he produced and wrote the Pokemon movie, Detective Pikachu. He was on The Tick and One Day at a Time. Uh, so he'll be with us briefly, but, but or in a moment, I guess. But before that, uh, I think JR has a story of the yeah. week for us. So literally this, the, the morning of the day we are recording, the Major League Baseball League Association, the MLB, announced that they are officially recognizing the Negro, Negro Leagues as a major league. Um, now, for folks who don't understand the ins and outs of that, there have been a number of different baseball leagues in history, and uh, obviously, currently, the most popular one is the is MLB, Major League Baseball. So, when you're talking about who keeps like official statistics and things like that, right? That's the ma that's Major League Baseball, and they only track statistics for players that are considered to have played in and officially recognized major league. So there have been, you know, there, there's, there are tons of minor leagues operating in the United States today um, and that are that are independent from the major it's leagues. It's like semi-pro, is that the idea? Right, sem right. and, and it, you know, if you might bat, you know, you might bat 500 in a semi-pro league, but it doesn't matter. Like, you're not being recorded in, in the annals of baseball history unless you're a major. And so the Negro Leagues, which were obviously created because of segregation, because uh, the major leagues would not allow black players to be on white baseball teams, uh, they their stats for all of these amazing, uh, some of the greatest baseball players of all time were never counted and considered in the annals of major league sports until today. And, you know, the announcement was really nice. The commissioner of the MLB said it was long overdue, which obviously it was. Uh, but I, I'm curious you know, what, what do y'all make of a move like this? Uh, Cause there are going to be people who are going to say like, who cares? You know, it's, it's, it's all of the moment or whatever. Uh, how, is this a big deal or not? How, how far back is the Negro league? Like when did that cease to exist? Uh, Jackie Robinson was in the forties, right? Uh, I don't know. I'll look it up uh, while you react. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's interesting, right? Like uh, I'm curious if it, if it, alters any standings right like that someone who all oh, the greatest baseball players uh you know like who are the top five whatevers if it's altering who's on those lists i think that's interesting uh yeah the last official game was played in 58 but basically by the oh, wow. end of the 40s was when it um when it was shutting down so because baseball began to be integrated right 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 gotcha what do you think kathy um, you know, 2020 is, it continues to be a very strange year. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering who felt really, really guilty now yeah. and why right. after all of this time. Um, I'm reading a little bit like the language around it, giving overdue recognition, um, overdue recognition. I mean, racism essentially is about not recognizing the humanity mm -hmm. of black people. And so, I mean, if we're going to start, I guess you can start with things like, oh, we're going to recognize these baseball players and their stats. But I, I guess I don't know how to feel 
knowing uh, knowing what's still going on currently in the world and particularly sure. in the United States where you know sports aside or with sports in the middle of a global pandemic a lot of these black players could still find themselves at the hands of police violence you know so i i don't know I mean, great move, yay, but hello, it's 2020. It's kind of like famous people who are dead. Let's go ahead and recognize them. There's no risk uh, there. There's no... There's no risk. There's no... I mean, I guess um, it's a kind of reparations, but it's pretty minor kind of reparations. And it's really late. So I guess better late than never. But at the end of the day... I'm kind of curious, what are what is the MLB trying to address? And is this one of many ways in which they're going to address and make reparations? Or, or is this just kind of a like their version of we took down a statue? Yeah, um, I, it will be interesting to see that. You know, this obviously isn't the first thing that the M- MLB has done. For the last uh, quite a few years, they've observed Jackie Robinson Day, where every single player wears the number 42 on their uniform for the day, which I think is, again, a pretty cool thing. And obviously, Jackie Robinson was the first black player to play on a white baseball team. Uh, so... I, I mean, I think there are some things, and and frankly, as a kid who grew up in a baseball family, I played baseball. You know, we went to baseball games all the time. Like now, part of it may be that I grew up in Kansas City, which was the home of the Kansas City Monarchs, where people like Jackie Robinson and Satchel Paige and Hank Aaron all played before some of those players went on to play in the MLB. Um, but like I like the Negro Leagues was a part of baseball history for me forever, and it was it was like always presented as this out outrageous injustice that literally many of the very best players in the entire world were disallowed from playing just because they were black. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- like, like that was always part of the story uh, growing up for me. And it was, it was, it wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't something that felt like it was hidden or ignored by the major leagues. You know I mean? Jackie Robinson is like one of the first baseball players I ever knew his name, uh, things like that. So, so I don't know, like it's, um, it would be interesting to kind of do a larger study of segregation and sports and see like which of the major league sports have done the best job of addressing this. Because obviously both the NBA and the NFL took pretty big stands this year during the summer protests, uh, BLM protests, right? Uh, with with uh, basketball teams refusing to play games in solidarity with protesters. Um, you know, the, the NFL finally decided they weren't going to fine or fire players for kneeling uh, while they continue to ignore Kaepernick. Uh, you know, things like that. So it would be interesting to kind of to your to your point, Kathy, like, what is the history of segregation in these sports of participating or uh, ignoring these injustices? And then, yeah, what sports have really taken measurable steps to do whatever they can do to address them? Um, I don't know. I can imagine for me as a little white kid in the suburbs, if I were living through 2020, this would have been a really exciting announcement Mm -hmm. for me. And I think Mm -hmm. I still feel a lot of that. Like, wow, how cool is that? You know, that um, because it is long overdue, but it's still happening. Right. That's great. Well, good. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts at home about that. If you love baseball uh, and this was particularly meaningful or not meaningful, let us know what you're thinking, what you're feeling. We'd love that. Or if you knew, happen to know more about uh, the history of integrating sports than any of us does. Yeah. In which case, come on the show and tell us all about it. Um, Clay Morgan, our good buddy, is going to be joining us for the interview. He had to hop off before we could do our intro. So you'll hear clay's voice shortly here and then of course uh we're about to invite our friend dan in and as i said before dan is a producer and writer he's known for a variety of things his his first show was he was working on 1600 pen with josh gad i don't know if you remember that show it was a delightful comedy set in the white house uh but he also was the producer and writer of detective pikachu he was uh on the tick and one day at a time and a variety of other shows which he'll be sharing with us as well. So let's let's go to Dan. Dan Hernandez, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. We've been really excited. In fact, my 11-year-old has 
we we were confused and we were saying it was going to be last week, even though that wasn't actually ever the case. And my daughter kept going like, have you talked to the Pokemon guy yet? All right, when are you talking to the Pokemon guy? <laughs> so that's your name well, in our house. I've got a lot of I got a lot of fans in that age group, as it turns <laughs> out. So that's something that I'm still kind of getting used to. I, I didn't see that for myself, but uh-huh. that seems to be the way things are trending. So oh, that's pretty great. I embrace it completely. Are you getting invited to a lot of um, children's conferences and things? It's more, it's more like I suddenly have the vocabulary to speak to younger people that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise had access to. Like, I know the secret language. Like, oh, you know, oh, you're as tired as a Snorlax. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but how could he know? He's too old. <laughs> He's cracked the language. Oh He's, like you know, like the twin language, or like you know, the languages that you learn at camp or something. It's like I, I, I've accidentally like like become a translator of people like you know, thirteen and younger, which is funny to me because of course you know, Pokemon came out when I was at the beginning of high school, so I feel like I was you know at ground zero for it, but, but it, it continues to be popular with younger people. And so since the movies come out, I've, I've definitely, you know, had a lot of, 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 you know, especially like really young kids, you know, five, six who are obsessed with it. It's only, it's made me much cooler in their eyes. So (laughs) I think that makes me cooler. I'm I'm all for it. Well, you're, you're pretty cool, Dan. I've, we're going to ask you what fascinates you in a second, but as we turn our cameras off here on the stream, uh, thumbnails pop up, you know, for people who have uploaded images. And I see you standing in a field holding what appears to be an eagle. So I'm fascinated by <laughs> this uh, picture of yours. It is uh, it is a hawk, actually. Uh, I, for many years, I have really been interested in falconry and, and kind of, oh. you know, bird... Uh, I, I don't know what you wrangling bird hand, <laughs> but I never, I never had the opportunity to to ever engage in that. I think it started when you know, like when you go to medieval times, there's always like the falcon yes. guy. Yes. So I loved medieval times growing up, and I just have a very vivid memory of the first time that I saw that bird. So I'd always been it's something I'd always sort of like tangentially been interested in but never really thought that there was any practical way to pursue uh, something like that and then i went to a wedding in vermont and you know at the hotel it was it wasn't a hotel it was like a it was like a very small hotel and and it was in you know middle of nowhere vermont and it and it said well uh some of the things to do include you know like going to see ceramics this and that falconry and i was like (laughs) what's that you say the sport of kings (laughs) and so i tried to rally my friends who were also at the wedding to to go and they all refused no cowards except for my writing partner benji who thankfully humors me in most of my sort of caprices i guess you might say and uh uh he came as my official uh documentarian and so benji was taking a lot of pictures and and basically it's like it was a short you know sort of falconry experience although they were actually uh harris hawks i believe they're called and uh it was it was as awesome as i hoped that it would be it was incredible. <laughs> it was at a place called new england falconry in vermont so That's shout awesome. out new england falconry. i even bought a shirt you know i have like a falconry shirt. <laughs> That's so cool. great and so the second so the second that I got these pictures back, I was like, well, clearly this needs to be my new Facebook and sort of social media. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, that's that's how I, I became uh, a participant in the Sport of Kings. <laughs> Amazing. Well, is- I, I think we've answered the question, what fascinates Dan Hernandez? <laughs> One of well, many, I think. <laughs> it's, it was actually a very hard question to answer for me because I, I feel that my life has been one of continually cycling uh fascinations i think it's one of the reasons that i that i became a writer it's i think it was j michael straczynski who wrote on twitter at some point that you you know like to be a a a great writer you actually 
have to be kind of a generalist in sort of interests. And I, and I think that that, for me at least, that's true. Now, my interests tend to run toward the geeky and sort of more nerdy, but but I understood what he meant, which is for him, it, it's like, you know, I, I've... I've had moments where I was completely fascinated by like military history and strategy. And so I'll read several books about that. And then I have moments where I'm completely fascinated by, I don't know, uh, the making of the Godfather, you know, just everything that there was to know about, you know, the Godfather and read all the books or this or that. So I feel like I'm, I'm constantly cycling in and out of, of fascinations that, that weirdly have contributed to, sort of professional success. The I guess the best example is recently, and it just came out so I can finally talk about it, is I, I helped out just a little bit on the uh, Lego Star Wars holiday special. Nice. <laughs> Amazing. The, yes. It was, a, it was cool. And and if you look in the credits, there's a special thanks for me and for Benji. And, you know, but it's in the fonts, the Star Wars font, and it's playing the theme. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm part of Star Wars in some, you know, minor way. But I remember being in the room thinking to myself like, oh, actually it was my obsessive studying of Star Wars that has actually yielded professional dividends as opposed to, uh, you know, remembering the quadratic equation, which I can't do, or <laughs> remembering the periodic table, which I don't. So like when so, your parents, when you were a kid, were like, stop playing with those Star Wars toys, those will never help you do anything in the world. And you were like, oh yeah? Oh, really? <laughs> what about this mom and dad? Dad! <laughs> you know? So yes, so um, I I tend to be a fairly fascinated person, I guess you might say. I just love those conversations. You know, it's school was the worst, right? And then all of a sudden, it's just like, <laughs> just wait, you'll see. I'm going to study falconry and be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet um, to have my children try that line on me, but I'm waiting. No. <laughs> The falconry phase, it's coming. If Is I had it? a dollar for every time my mom told me, eat your broccoli, and I said, I'm going to go study falconry and be a millionaire, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> Listen, you got You just got to know early what your, what, where your sweet spot is. And I, and I guess, you know, for me, it was always just studying things, doing deep dives on things that were seemingly unimportant, but, but actually in my professional life have sort of turned out to be you know, the tools in my utility belt to actually have some authority when I talk about, you know, whatever to, to movie type people or TV type people. So I've been fortunate in that respect. So Dan, tell us a little bit about, uh, here you are, you're a kid, you're obsessive about various things, and then you get a job in Hollywood. Like, tell us about the, <laughs> the gap between there. How, how'd we get there? And was Benji hmm, um, a part of this throughout? Like, were you guys friends from a young age? Like, what was the deal there? Well, Benji is a critical component of, of this story. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, a pretty, uh, what you might call an indoor kid. <laughs> not, yes. not, not a, not a, you know, but uh, with that said, you know, and sometimes I think that this is, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, so you actually, I grew up in Florida. In, in Coral Springs, Florida, which is, you know, uh, a little bit north of Fort Lauderdale. But, you know, it's a very, uh, at least at the time, it felt like a very idyllic suburb and a very, you know, kind of safe, nice place to grow up. Um, so I was I, I was a weird mixture of, you know, I, I definitely was like an indoor kid. Like I still to this day don't know how to ride a bike. But because of the Florida component, like I, I really do like, I love sports. I love basketball. I love football. I was on the middle school basketball team. So there is this kind of incongruous, or I feel slightly incongruous, like, uh, yeah, I love the Miami Dolphins. Go, <laughs> go Dolphins. <laughs> in spite of the fact that, you know. Laces out. You're right, laces out. Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, reading, and my parents got divorced when I was about to go to fifth grade. So, and my brother is, uh, 12 years older than I am. So he had already moved out of the house by that point. So suddenly I found myself with a lot of alone time, uh, just, you know, sort of at a formative age. And so I think that a lot of that time was, was filled with books, with video games, with movies. I remember uh, like in the theme of sort of fascination at, at a certain point, I, 
you know, I, I forget even what grade it was. And it was pretty young. It was like eighth grade. And I was like, I really should be familiar with the filmography of Jack Nicholson. And I'm going to rent every movie that he's ever <laughs> from Hollywood video. And so I was like in eighth grade watching like five easy pieces and the last detail and, and in terms of endearment and all these movies that, you know, Probably I didn't, I only understood really a fraction of, especially the movie like Five Easy Pieces, which I think you need to have um, some lived experience in order to even begin to enter into that movie and not like. Not be an eighth know. grader? <laughs> What's that? And not be an eighth grader. And not be an eighth <laughs> yeah. grader, right. And not like only recently started shaving. Um, so, but but that's another example of, 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 you know, how fascination has sort of been. Uh, a heavy component of, of, you know, kind of my personal time. And so from a pretty young age, I was interested in writing and in high school, I was super encouraged to do that. And, you know, our high school also didn't have uh, like a football team, for instance, athletics were not the cool sort of area in our high school. It was, it was speech and debate. And it yes. was, are you in the, the musical. And so I, that was way more where I was, I was focusing, you know, being in the musicals and, and going to, you know, what, what's called for some reason forensics yes. on the East coast, but really it's like speech and a bit. And, um, did you compete? I did compete, but not in debate. Uh, in I forensics? competed in basic, in, in forensics, basically like acting. Okay. What's, what's called in terms, yes. you know, yes. it's, it's like dramatic in term comedic in term. Yep. Um, and that was really a great, you know, a great experience. You know, one, one other theme of my life is, uh, I went to high school with, with Josh Gad, the actor. Oh, really? And he, nice. he was a senior when I was a freshman. So Josh from a pretty early age was sort of famous locally, even if he was like a famous person in our high school because he was so talented and he was Tevia and, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and, you know, uh, Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat and Guys and Dolls and things like that. So uh, Josh was very heavy into forensics and he's like a legendary forensics champion, national champion. Like he's amazing. He was maybe one of the best, if not the best ever. So it was like a very cool thing to do in our high school um, at that time. And it, and it enabled me to travel to like Pittsburgh, which I never probably would have done otherwise. And my first sort of big trip to New York with, with one of my best friends, uh, Sam, who was my partner in that competition. And we, we like, it's just, you know, looking at the theme of my life, like we get to New York city and we're like, well, what do we want to do? And we're like, well, let's track down where the Marvel comics office is <laughs> and so we went we were like 16 or 17 and we just show up at the like sort of reception and right. they're like uh yes what can we do for you did they give <laughs> we you the tour like, we were like we don't know and 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 they didn't give us the tour and you know <laughs> oh. but i did say well you know we've come all the way from florida like do you guys have any kind of i don't know like grab bag that you guys give away and the secretary was nice enough to be like uh yeah, let me go get you two. And so they gave us, you know, these kind of like guest visiting grab bags just because we asked. And so anyway, that that's so that was high school. And then from there, I went to college at Brown nice. in uh, Providence, and that was a great experience. And that's where I met Benji, and where we started working together on writing and theater. And Benji is from Tarzana, California, which uh is is close enough you know it's in the valley but but you know he he sort of was more familiar with screenwriting and and being a, a writer as a as a profession than i was my degree is actually in fiction um and i was pretty sure that i was going to be writing sort of weird fiction in the tradition of lovecraft or robert e howard or stephen king you know full time by this point that was what my goal was um and i was also acting a great deal at the time in new york uh in plays that were too bad to allow anyone to see i would literally tell my girlfriend now wife do not come you might think you might think that i'm being in some way modest or in some way testing you about like oh how much do you love me i'm going to come anyway no that's not what's happening i'm saying 
I will actually be angry if you waste your time and come to this. <laughs> So there was a lot of that, and and it wasn't until Benji sort of uh, enticed me to sell out that that <laughs> things started, which wasn't hard, honestly, it wasn't hard. Um, but but that was sort of my journey to Los Angeles and into trying to to do screenwriting and and things like that. And then you know life has a funny way of coming around. Uh, you know, I'm, because I was friends with Josh when he did Book of Mormon. And came back. He and with a TV show. He asked Benji and I to to be in the pilot punch up of that show, which is for people who don't know. It's it's especially for comedies. Before they shoot the the, the pilot, they bring a bunch of comedy writers in to try to make the script funnier. And we did a really good job and treated it like our eight mile. You know, <laughs> this is our moment. Writing jokes, writing jokes. We're gonna do it. Mom's spaghetti <laughs> and. And that was our kind of big break in our first job. So that that's the sort of the the a brief history of Hernandez, I guess you might say. That's awesome. <laughs> that's a great story. Uh, so we're going to be talking about creatives in quarantine here in a minute. But before we do that, I am fascinated by the opportunities you've had to take uh, intellectual properties like The Tick, which is maybe my all-time favorite, or something like Pokemon, which both have like a pretty long history, especially Pokemon, uh, in multi multiple media before you come to them. And then it's your job to create something new. It's like we could just talk about the Pokemon movie, right? You're, you're doing a Pokemon movie, and I'm assuming that part of the goal is to appease the legions of rabid Poke fans but also someone like me who like, I know who Pikachu is because I have smash brothers and I know no one wants to be Jigglypuff cause she's the chief <laughs> character. And like, that's about it. Um, but yet you want to write a film that's going to like satisfy the hardcore fans, but also appeal to someone like me who, you know, like probably came to it because he likes Ryan Reynolds. Uh, so like, how much of that was in your head when you started that project? Like, how do you approach a problem like that? Or do you just like completely ignore that and just write a good story? Well, it's a good question uh, for me because of my, uh, as we've now established my sort of obsessive uh, nature, I, I couldn't fully ignore the things that I felt that, uh, that the fans would want to see in a Pokemon movie. Because that really, when I say the fans, I also mean myself, mm -hmm. right? So there were certain things where I said to myself, you know, we really need to see um, this or that. And if we don't see, for instance, a Snorlax sleeping at some point, that, that would be, <laughs> I would be disappointed. I, I was literally like, there better be a Psyduck who has a headache or I'm going to be super mad. Well, and, and Psyduck is my favorite character. And, and so that, that actually is one of the things that Benji and I brought to the project pretty early on, which is, you know, in, in thinking about it, it was, it was a twofold thing. It was, which are the characters, which are the Pokemon specifically that I, that I love the most, but also which are the Pokemon that sort of, have built-in personas or misbehaviors or comedic attributes. And for me, Psyduck is, is the clear answer to that. And so I knew from a pretty early moment, it like really from the, the first day of our involvement that, that I wanted to bring Psyduck in as the sort of the, the, the other big hero Pokemon that we spent a lot of time with. Um, and having, that have, having opinions, I guess, allowed me to not really, it wasn't so much asking permission, but it was just a decision that it was like, you know, there's a moment in the movie where um, the main character sort of has a very impassioned speech to a Bulbasaur, which is a kind of funny thing to write on a page. It's like, <laughs> you know, he gives, you know, like, he he opens his heart to the Bulbasaur, and the Bulbasaur <laughs> looks, you know, like and you're and you're writing this, and you're like, oh man, this is this has the chance to like really go wrong. But in my mind, I, I didn't feel like I needed to say, well, you know, Bulbasaur has has some healing properties, and you know, in the you know from the game, and and 
whatever. I, I just knew that it was the right thing. And I knew that there had to, for me, one of the important things about Pokemon was this, this harmony between nature and man. And I really wanted to have an almost Miyazaki-ish moment in the movie. And, and that's exactly how it turned out. It really turned out as, as kind of how I imagined it. And you never know how things are going to, going to turn out. So I, I was thinking to myself, well, what are the things the fans want to see? But also, how do I tell a story that my mother can enjoy? Because, you know, so, like that my wife can enjoy, who knows nothing about these things. And weirdly, we we sort of were, at first, it, it didn't feel like a, like a benefit to be in a weird kind of side pocket of the Pokemon universe. You, you know, when you hear that they're making a Pokemon movie, you think, well, it's going to be Ash and his Pikachu and team rocket. And, and, you know, for those familiar, you know, sort of right. the, the, the most known, or it's going to be a version of Pokemon red, you know, from the, from the video game. So there's a lot more famous versions of Pokemon out there than Pokemon detective Pikachu, which at the time we were writing, it wasn't even out in the United States. It was only available in Japan, and so they they had to give us a translation of the game script. <laughs> so, I legitimately so, didn't even know till this moment that it was actually based on a game. So it is. There you go. It is. It, there is, a, and it's and but it's a very different type of game. It's it's almost it's a more like an adventure game, like Sam and Max hit the road or um, Monkey Island or something like that. So. Not only is it radically different than the other Pokemon games, it it's it wasn't even about in America. So <laughs> you're now faced with a thing where you're writing it and going, is this this does anyone want this? Is this the <laughs> best possible version of, of this story? It was a, it felt at the time a little bit like writing a I don't know, a Star Trek movie without the Enterprise or a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber. So what proved to be the case interestingly was because it was this other sort of unknown world it actually liberated us to do a bunch of different things and to try to put our own twists on these established characters so that even if there were some things that were a little bit different than than the fans of pokemon were familiar with from you know the the 25 30 years of of the franchise they were a little bit more willing to go with it because it wasn't sort of the main Thing that they were used to so it actually ended up being a real benefit to us so um, that's how I sort of looked at balancing those things it was like the the touchstones for fans have to be in there because I would be kind of bummed if those things were were absent but at the same time I didn't feel like I needed to be completely beholden to like a great sort at least narrative mythology because there really wasn't one it was it was a whole different thing and that proved to be, be really good for us that's awesome. Uh, I have one other question that I promised my wife I would ask. Um, sure. So my wife is a derby girl down here in Dallas. And right. so I wanted to know if uh, having Dot be a Gotham roller girl in the tick was your idea. And if not, would you like to take credit for it? It was not my idea. Um, I believe she starts the roller ball in the first season. Yes. Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So I was not working on the tick in the first season. Okay. I only came for the second. But I, I do remember that, the, you know, I, I heard about the rollerball and I think that there was a feeling that she needed something of her own to do, something that was sort of unexpected and, and cool that, that didn't make, that made her a little bit not waiting around for Arthur and the Tick all the time, that she had her own agency and her own interests and friends and, and abilities and things like that. And, and that was... You know, the second season, it's a little different because I don't think you see it again. But uh, but unfortunately, it was not me. But it was it was the, uh, the smart people in the first uh, well, season. Well, it made a big splash with uh, the Derby girls down here. Uh, so. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, my oldest daughter and I watched The Tick together all the way through. And we were we were pretty sad when it didn't get... I actually sent her... She had moved out, I think, when it got canceled, and I, I sent her a text with a screenshot, and she just sent me this text that just said no, all like 800 O's after it. We were pretty sad. We were pretty bummed, too. Um, I personally feel that the show was getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
as as it was going along. I think the first season was great in a lot of ways. I think the casting was spot on. Griffin <laughs> Griffin is fantastic as Arthur. Uh, you know, Peter incredible as the tick. You know, every up and down the line, I felt the casting was really really great. And I think in the second season, you know, and this is Ben, you know, Edland, uh, the the tick is really his. He really talks like the tick. Really, he thinks <laughs> it's not a it's not a joke. Like Ben Edlin is he is the tick. Is the tick. The, uh. He is, and and he created the tick when he was seventeen years old, and so he's been living with that in his mind for for a very long time now. <laughs> um, so on the tick, whenever you would write a line for the tick that wasn't sort of that met Ben's approval it, it felt like a big win because it really did feel like the tick himself was saying yes this is a good one <laughs> well done chum <laughs> so i was i was very i was very uh i guess as the british say chuff <laughs> to write the second episode of the of the second season and 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 a few of the lines that we that we wrote you know really got in you know like ben they must he must have liked them and, and so i i feel weirdly proud of you know, sometimes you think that you can write a character, but it's not until you're you're sitting down to do it that you're like, oh, this is so specific and it has to be just right. And not only that, you know, the avatar of this character is is going to be the one, you know, adjudicating this. <laughs> um, but they did a great job. I think the tick was unfairly canceled in, in many ways. I, I think uh, there, were, there were ways to keep it going. I think it was getting better and better. I think the fan response felt the same way. And... Um, it was a it was a real bummer. Yeah, but I'm really proud of the work that we did do. Um, working with John Hodgman was something that I really really wanted to do, and so to be able to get to write for him and get to know him a little bit subsequently has was like very very rewarding for me because I admire him a lot, and so uh, that was really cool. So there were a lot of great things that that came out of it, in spite of the fact that I think it should still be on. Yeah, when you're a fan first, you know how uh, the sting feels when something you love gets shut down. And I imagine as the creative artist behind it or working on the project, it's it's only uh, amplified that much. And one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today was not only the creative life, which you've already shared about, but also what it's been like during 2020 and there's certainly been some business decisions that have been impacted across the entertainment industry. Um, but also, not just you working in quarantine, but doing so in such a collaborative way. So can you just talk about the creative life in, in 2020, how it's been impacting your flow and and, and what, what you would uh, say to people who are trying to understand what that experience is like? Well, it, it's for for us. It, it and for me, you know, it, it was. We are we have been very fortunate to be very busy this entire year, and I know that that is not the case for everyone. And so I, I do I don't take that for granted. But we were three or four days away from shooting a pilot when the entire town shut down. Mm. Oh man! Which you know, for people who don't aren't as familiar, you know, gearing up to shoot a pilot is an, an incredible amount of work. It's casting, it's table reads, improving the script, it's hiring every single department head, you know, the, so the, the, the DP, the editor, the, 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 everyone, even like, you know, everyone stuff, right? Like you know, right. Just costume, makeup, production design, artists, musicians, everything, everything. So, so we were literally a few days out from shooting our pilot um, for the Disney Channel uh, called Ultraviolet and Blue Demon when everything shut down. And so suddenly you're now in a limbo of, okay, that's not going to be happening until the indefinite future. So I almost have to not think about it when that had been all I was thinking about for months. So that was very strange. And then suddenly you find that you have to, we, you know, we were just at the tail end of, of working on a show called central park, um, which is an animated show. So 
luck as fate would have it benji and i were working a lot in animation this year so animation was actually one of the things that could continue mm. in a way that was more you know i mean there were a lot of bumps but but it, it actually people were able to kind of migrate over to their to their homes and continue their their work so central park was able to proceed we wrote um the movie adam's family 2 the anim which is the sequel to the animated movie that that work continued we wrote uh an animated movie for netflix that i can't talk about yet but that is you know that was able to continue so and we were working on animated scripts as part of our our overall deal with 20th century fox so all of those projects were able to continue the, you know, I guess the the good thing for me, as previously discussed, is that I'm an indoor kid, and I, it's hard to tell sometimes if I'm like the world's most introverted extrovert or the like the you know like what's the you know the world's most extroverted introvert, um, and I'm not I'm still remain unsure about that, but it's I don't mind spending a tremendous amount of time by myself in my office. I, I it just doesn't bother me, and it never has. Uh, being someone who has very irregular sleep patterns to begin with, staying up to the middle of the night writing is also something that that I like actually. So that that was fine too. But I think that what made it challenging was suddenly, like my wife is a pediatric nephrologist, so she has a you know she works at at a hospital here in Los Angeles and. So she's now going into the hospitals. Luckily, you know, I mean, she wasn't on the the front lines of, of, of you know, handling the COVID response. But, but you know, she was in a place where there was a lot of COVID activity. She was pregnant at the time. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that we would have uh, been quite as cavalier about trying to get. Uh, we had we had our second child just a month ago, but. Had I known we were going into a global pandemic, maybe that would have changed the calculation. I'm glad that it didn't. I'm actually glad that we didn't know that because I think it was, you know, good to just, I don't know. There's never, my father always says, there's never a convenient time to do anything. And I, and I think that that's true. So it's, I'm glad that, it, that we did get pregnant and that it, that it just, we, that she got pregnant. <laughs> but The royal we in pregnancy. That's always fun. We, but, <laughs> But anyway, so so suddenly I'm dealing with like she's also now working from home to to a large extent. So now, and we have a, 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 a you know at that time our daughter was not even a year old. So now I've got a, like an insane baby running around who only likes to sprint everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife is now working from home also. Uh, in a lot of cases, I'm here all the time and seemingly haunting my own house like a ghost. <laughs> Like, <laughs> like never a time that I'm not awake and like doing something other than my, I usually sleep from like the wee hours until like, I'm actually up early today. I got up early for you all. So <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. We, but, we originally asked uh, Dan to come to our regular time, which is like eight, eight thirty Pacific. Um, and he was like, that that's a little early for me. There was no way because I had only gone to bed at, at like seven. So, right. So it was just, it, it was, I was like, mm, no, I don't think that's good. <laughs> yes. Anyway. So, so I, I think that what's been challenging about being, you know, creative during this time is that a lot of the times I didn't really feel like being creative. Yeah. Especially, you know, at the beginning before things sunk in, you know, I think that there was a mourning period, but but I, I didn't really have a choice in a lot of cases because there are deadlines and there's things that need to get done and people are depending on you. And so you, you, you try to just plug away at it as best that you can. And again, I, I'm not, I, I feel very fortunate that we had so much work to do because I know that a lot of other screenwriters have, have not had that experience because uh, they just, you know, for whatever, you know, for many reasons, but, but I was incredibly busy. So I, I actually didn't really have the luxury of, of kind of wallowing too much because it was like, oh no, like they, you know, I need to turn this script in in, in three weeks. And there's really not an option other than, you know, violating my contracts and looking like an idiot to, to do that. So it's like, I better, I better suck it up. And, and so I, I guess what I've, I guess it's all a long winded way of saying, 
I actually really enjoy the process of writing and, and when it's going great, it doesn't feel like work, but the last year has felt like a little bit more like, like work, I guess you might say. It, it has felt like, okay, let's rally and do this. Let's try to focus, you know, it has to happen. So just go do it rather than, you know, I'm really pumped to go and, 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 you know, write my little stories, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, it's been less of that and more of like, okay, what has to happen today? Okay, fine. That, that's, that, that's been my experience of, of the, of the quarantine. I enjoyed the other night on Twitter, you said you were going to be up all night and you would give people uh hard truths, hard advice uh it, it was making me laugh pretty hard like people were asking i was i was telling the team here something like uh do i ha- do i have to move to la to get into the industry and you were like you'd have like the kind of soft soft answer like no that everyone has a different path and then the hard advice was like yeah probably yeah you probably do not just probably i say get your ass to mars what are you waiting for <laughs> <That's right. laughs> in, the, in the words of arnold you know so but well, yeah, because I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, I have a mixed relationship with Twitter. Um, I want to be more Twitter famous, but I also am like, find it repugnant a lot of the time. Oh, you said the so other that, day, if you got to 10,000 followers, you were going to dish dirt on all your celebrity friends. Well, I, I and I, and that, that <laughs> remains true. <laughs> so so I'm re- I, in. in particular, <laughs> I, I promise to ruin some people's childhoods with a particular celebrity. Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I'm here for that. So at 10,000, that story will be, that, that's a stretch goal. That's a- <laughs> but at 10,000 followers, I will reveal which of your childhood heroes was a massive, massive take to me. Um, <laughs> nice. I'll also say some people who are nice, but. Right. but, but Those aren't uh, as interesting. The, that's, that's the 10,000 follower stretch goal but uh well you know the thing is on twitter there's a lot of people that that offer sort of expertise um who in my opinion are not qualified to offer it and so i i think sometimes there's i don't know i i just felt like what if and i warned people i said if you tweeted me for advice i'm only offering tough love tonight (laughs) <laughs> I softened slightly and and decided that just tough love was too mean. So I kind of gave softer. Uh, uh, well, at the time, what I called, I think I called it like kind love or nice love. Yeah. Obviously should have been soft love in retrospect. That's a note for myself. Uh, well, for next time, the next night, for the next overnighter. It's got to be soft love and, and hard love. But so I added the soft love component so that it was a little less mean, but you know, I just felt like, yeah, if you want to be a screenwriter and, and, you know, the question was, well, I'm, I, I don't live in LA and I, and I'm constantly moving countries. Is that going to be a problem to my, my career? As a yes. screenwriter? Well, yes, it is actually <laughs> get your ass to Mars. What are you doing? If you're serious about being a screenwriter, then that's just what you have to do. Um, not to say that there aren't outliers to, you know, around the Orient Express and meet a producer and, you know, like, or traveling in the, you know, I was in Kyoto and I ran into a movie star and I gave him my script. I'm sure that those things happen, but in general, it was like, yeah, you do need to move. So, but, but the Twitter is the Twitter. The Twitter. Yep. Twitter is a great outlet for me to like also stay awake when I'm writing at at odd hours. And so it, it, it helps those kind of threads. My favorite one that I ever did is that I, I issued spooky predictions using my psychic power to people that tweeted at me. I, I'm thinking about doing that one again soon, but <laughs> but it helps get my writing going when I'm kind of struggling. And also it, it, it gives me something to check when I need a, a break from what I'm writing. Can, and so can you give us a, sometimes, a spooky prediction now, Dan? Got anything? Um. Well, the joke of the spooky predictions is that they weren't that spooky. <laughs> so my, my prediction was, was like, so they were all like, you'll stock an item that's online waiting for it to go on sale. But by the time you get the alert that it's on sale, it will be sold out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was like that that level of spooky. No, that's, no. that's pretty spooky. <laughs> yeah, very eerie, haunting. Um, so those are the levels of 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 spooky. Like, you know, you'll order a meal from Postmates you're really looking forward to, but the driver will cancel. <laughs> That's Which reality. Is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Worst. yeah. I hate that. That's that. So those are the kind of spooky. My, my psychic powers are only attuned to very low level problems like that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that that's why I use Twitter like that because I, I, I I, I look at it as a as kind of a joke incubator, and sometimes some of those things on Twitter will end up sparking something in kind of my professional work. But also, I've made a ton of friends on Twitter, which I mean, even doing this podcast, I think, is a result of yeah, yes, friendly on Twitter, and I, I think that that's really cool, and that's a good part of Twitter. I've made a lot of friends that I actual friends that I that I wouldn't have made otherwise, and so you get to you know like John Cryer and I are having a flirtation right now on Twitter. He's very into my jokes and I'm really into him. So like, that's something where, you know, maybe that'll lead to a lunch someday and maybe we'll write something and who knows, but, but it's very exciting when he retweets or like John Hodgman and I are friends on Twitter now. So anyway, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's good things about it. So that, that's also been a way during the, the, I've gotten very serious about Twitter during the pandemic because I have nothing else to do. I had a I had a woman follow me on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I think I followed her first because I saw she had just won a a, contest, a screenwriting contest of some sort, and uh, she wrote me and was like, "I had to follow you because you love R two D two. It's just a picture in my profile of me hugging R two D two. I was like, "Oh, that's nice." <laughs> I was telling her the story of when I met R two D two, and then she's like, "No, you don't understand. Here's my workplace," and she sent me a picture of her desk, and there's like forty R two D twos all around her. And I was like, Oh, okay. You were serious. How was there room so, for her to work? I mean, it was amazing. I have the pic. I'll send it to you. Kathy. Okay. She'd, she'd be proud. So I'll, I'll that is that her too. work, Kathy. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. You're the art. So it's, it's making connections in the, in a time of when connection is necessary, whether it's through R2D2 or something else. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's just been a weird time. So, Dan, what are you, uh, if you're allowed to tell us, what are you working on right now? How's that going? Um, what am I allowed to talk about right now? Well, we ended, we did end up shooting the pilot of Ultraviolet and Blue Demon for the Disney Channel, which cool. was uh, a, a challenging experience in COVID because it was a lot of. Did Tom Cruise keep bursting in and yelling at everyone to follow the COVID regulations? <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of debate about it, but I, I for, for pure comedy value and, and quotability, 10 out of 10. Um, I saw your buddy Josh Gad took a stand right away. Josh did take a stand. Well, because, you know, it, it's it, it, it was... I think the, the the part of it that that I think you got to cut people breaks on both sides, including yeah. whoever these crew people were that were getting yelled at, is it 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 did not it was not comfortable to be on set. Mm. Right. It was very uncomfortable, and especially for something like Mission Impossible, which has a lot of I mean, was a hundred times more complicated than even what we were what we were doing in our pilot. I can't imagine how uncomfortable it is there because they're doing serious stunts and serious things that people can get very hurt. And, and, and so on the, to defend the the crew people, it's hard to have a mask and a face shield on all day under extremely stressful circumstances that I'm sure that theirs were exponentially more stressful than ours in Tom Cruise's defense he is trying to manage this entire production and prevent it from shutting down and, and get, you know, and, and, and everything that he said in the thing, I think was, was true. Basically, I, you know, I, 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 I can't even really fault him for, for yelling in a, in a way, because it, when you're in a tense situation like that, like things like that happen, like, I don't think you should necessarily like curse out your crew. That's not the best right. way to do it. But I see why that happened because it, it's just tense. It's tense on all sides. And so 
Um, that was a that, it was a great experience, but it, but it was challenging for that reason. Also because we were one of the first pilots to shoot in Los Angeles, um, so everybody was kind of still learning how to do that. So we're waiting to see what's going to happen with that. Um, so were you on? Were you producing that as well, Dan? Were you on set? Like what? What were you doing? I, yeah, I was. I mean, I'm the co-creator of the show with Benji, and so okay. we were nice. we were on set the entire time. And and because of COVID, you had to take what could have been, you know, maybe a six or seven day shoot. Now it's an eight day shoot. Oh, wow. Um, you're, you know, it's just so happened that it was 97 degrees out that week, of course. So suddenly it's extremely uncomfortable forever. And that's what I was talking about before. You know, it's, there are these factors that what was already going to be difficult is now made exponentially more difficult because you can't breathe as well. You know, you're hot. You're you're having to follow these protocols that that are of course important, but but are in in the context of especially shooting, people are on top of each other all the time. So anyway, that that was that was one thing that I'm working on. So we're we're waiting to uh, to to hear what's going to happen with that. And then, like I said, I just wrote a Netflix animated movie. I've got a couple of things coming down the line, hopefully in the animated TV space, but nothing that I can concretely talk about other than Adam's family too, which should be coming out October of 2021, which I'm very excited about. That was a great, great experience. And I, I really, I really can't wait to see how it, how it turns out. Well, if you get the chance, please find a way to bring back Dr. Katz. um, (laughs) License therapist. Yes. I thought he was gonna, you know, I thought that they did a little Dr. Katz thing, uh, at some point, but yeah, well, he, he, you know, I feel like Dr. Katz lives and dies by what he wants to do. That's I'm the right fellow for that, but, uh, but I'll keep my eyes open. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on to talk about the writing life and your career. Where do you want people to find you? You mentioned Twitter. What are all the handles and uh, websites? Uh, I mean, the only one I care about is is at Cuban Missile DH uh, on Twitter because we got to get that follower count up. We've got to do. Yeah, it. you're it's, only at seven thousand five hundred and seven followers. It's, it's disgusting, and we need to <laughs> we need to we need to crank it up. There will be stretch goals for the people, as I said, ten k. I'll ruin your childhood. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't thought of any other one. Maybe that's not a great stretch goal in you know in saying it aloud. But uh, people like having their childhood. It's, it's mean people do. History. Mean people do, but, and there are at least two mean people who co-host this oh, good. podcast. Fantastic. So yeah, at Cuban Missile DH uh, is my main way to get in touch with me and i will respond to anyone most i mean people think that i don't look oh i look i will respond to you i, I mean you 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 may not like what i have to say but i <laughs> I, I am vigilant i am like the night's watch of twitter like, <laughs> challenge accepted here we go um, i'll just- I'll just say that was my experience. I reached out to Dan and just was telling him a story about taking Allie uh, to go see the Pokemon movie. And he like, we wrote back and forth a bit and then we kind of stayed in touch. And I saw him do a tweet saying something like you fools have no idea how wonderful I am on podcasts or something like that. And then I was like, Oh, challenge accepted. (laughs) I must've been feeling needy that day or something. I guess worked for me though. (laughs) But it kind of worked out. It doesn't so, matter yeah. why. Now we're here. It's right. Right. It worked out for me. So, I mean, it's only it's only feeding my bad behavior. <laughs> we can also be well, enablers. It's, it's we're, totally okay. We're always honored to be mentioned to people's therapists. I love being enabled. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out. Well, we often end this show talking about something that's fascinating us lately. It could be a pop culture property or just about anything that is happening anywhere, including inside our adult minds. So I'll go first and kick us off. And in honor of your appearance, Dan, I'm going to go with probably a book that I mentioned maybe three or four years ago. But well, well, just tell me real quick, Dan, it is is Gary Marshall on the hit list or is he okay to talk about the late Gary Marshall? I never Marshall? met Gary Marshall okay. and I, I 
don't I, I've not heard anything personally bad. I, I, I did work with Norman Lear. Oh so I feel like I'm on the other side of, of, of the two like titans of Yes. Of well that that would be a whole other podcast to talk about those other experiences. But I'm just gonna go ahead and, and recall a book called My Happy Days in Hollywood. It's a memoir by Gary Marshall, the late Gary Marshall. And, uh, you know, just as you're talking about punching up scripts and getting your start and, and partnering up and all this work, I just I keep going back to those wonderful stories. It's one of those books that you've got to do the audio version. You've got to hear that, you know, Yonkers, Brooklyn, Gary Marshall accent tell the stories in his own way, just about going to college, coming back from the war, like getting a, their first gig, punching up scripts, and then like creating, you know, modern television comedy, essentially. Um so my happy days in Hollywood, a memoir is is always a book that I'm fond of remembering. Awesome, that's awesome. I'm gonna go next, and mine is gonna be a screen share, if that's okay. What? It's a, it's a pod, you know how podcasts work, right? I do. So <laughs> now so our screen. listeners, our listeners will only be able to hear your reactions to this. Okay. All right. So as many of you <laughs> oh, know, I have I have been I have been doing puzzles during COVID. And so I kickstarted this organization called the Magic Puzzle Company. Whoa. And they sent puzzles out there, a thousand Ooh. piece puzzles that have a magical surprise at the end. So the one that you're looking at is uh, one of one of the three that they have available. And as you can see, as I was put, you know, we separated all of the edge pieces out and I'm like sorting out ah. corner pieces. And there were like more corners <sighs> than four. And so, and then we started putting the puzzle together and I, you know, I got several edge pieces put together and then kind of looked on the picture to see where they went and they went in the middle of the puzzle. Oh my goodness. Interesting. So we finish, uh, we get the puzzle finished. Let me make sure I'm going in the right direction for this. Um, nope. That was, there we go. Okay. That was you. So we, did we finish the puzzle? So yeah. there it is. And you can see it's like a maze. And so it's actually telling this little story of this little guy and the yellow coat and his friend who are trying to find another missing friend, right? Uh -huh. So we, we open the, the puzzle box and there's an envelope, a sealed envelope in there that says, do not open this until you finished the puzzle. Ooh. So we open it and it tells us to <gasps> separate the puzzle out and then actually switch. Let me see. Switch the two pieces where they oh, go. Oh, so cool. And it actually creates a gap in the puzzle. And then inside of the envelope, you can see up there at the top of the screen are more pieces. What? Oh, that's And so is it creates a final piece that I'm going to try to zoom in a little bit for you. You can't see it super well because of the glare, but he actually, they actually are able to find their friend Aww. and be reunited. Oh, that's sweet. Whimsical. It's like the next generation of puzzle. Yeah. So there are three of these available. We've done one of them. Mm. I did some checking and they're only available right now, possibly in stores at target. Amazon has sold out of them until they said mid January. Um, but they are super fun. Uh, they're really detailed. All of the art comes from uh, its original art from independent artists. Uh, and they are all designed with like optical illusion stuff in mind. You couldn't really see, but when you're shifting the puzzle around, like all of the pieces still lined up once you changed everything around. Um, it was an incredibly fun, cool experience. It's really cool. So the Magic fun. Puzzle Company. Sweet. So neat. Yeah, that sounds good. That's really cool. Uh, Kathy, what do, you, what do you got? So I'm still undecided about how I feel about this movie show oh, that I really? watched on Netflix. All right. but, I can't wait to hear about this. Okay, so I watched The Prom on Netflix. And so <laughs> I love that, musicals. Okay, okay so is, I is like it when people... Is Broadway musical? Could be. I don't Is know. It the West, yes. A yes. Kid yes. Off in yes. The Midwest yes. Or something. I heard. Yes. I heard the soundtrack. Indiana. Okay. I saw Indiana. The oh well, there you go. So I, I enjoy musicals. You know, when people start breaking out in song for no reason, it's lovely. It's quite charming. So I just needed something to like, kind of ah uh, disappear into. Um, so. So there are a couple of things. Sorry, people. I'm I'm going to do a little bit of body shaming here. I cannot figure out how Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman can move their faces. I I don't understand. There's just so much. 
stuff going on. Injections, whatever. Darren will tell you when it gets to 10,000 followers. Okay. That's the that's the 100,000 followers. Oh, oh that's the 100,000 followers. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, you know, right. it's Botox and fillers <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, so I'm a little fascinated by that. Like, I'm, I'm standing really close to the screen going, what happened here to this <laughs> face? Um. But just kind of enjoying it for what it's worth, I I I can easily pick it apart critically. Um, you know, the role of people of color, <laughs> how that plays out, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's also the fun, like, breaking out in song and uh, the costuming and, yeah, so... The so it's literally fascinating you. You can't it stop is, thinking about it. It is. And then I just posted on Facebook, like, who's seen it? So I'm just, I'm kind of waiting because only a few people have offered up their opinions. Everyone else is, it's just simply yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, but there's no, like, no one's gushing. But there have been a few, like, yeah, and I was really disappointed. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm fascinated by that. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it and see how it compares to the... The to Broadway the Broadway show. show. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Wow. How about you, Matt? Okay. Um, you know, every, this season for most of us, not JR, who only celebrates Christmas in its traditional season. Um, but for me in the month of December, I like to watch Christmas movies. Uh, and every year, you know, you have the certain ones that are your favorites. Uh, so one of mine is the Muppet Christmas Carol. And I've seen it twice already uh, because my kids have come home at different times and they all like to watch it too. So we're going to watch it one more time probably tonight. But it's been really interesting. I feel like every time I watch it, I appreciate it a little more. It has like these really deep, serious bits. And then it's just over the top goofy like the Muppets are. Uh, and then this, there's this other thing where there's a song that was not in the theatrical release because they thought it was too much emo emotionally for children uh, that was only included on the VHS or it was supposed to be. And then it got lost and they just found it again. So now they're saying they're, they're looking into, can they update it on Disney plus and Brian Henson, who was the director is like over the top, just super excited about it. So it's been really interesting. It's been kind of in the news a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I've just been enjoying it. So if you've never seen Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, it's definitely worth your time. And it's a, yeah, it's a weird little adaptation of Dickens that uh, is really enjoyable. Arguably, arguably the best adaptation of Dickens. Yes, he <laughs> plays everything straight. And I got to tell you, too, my wife, who uh, she and I are kind of opposites on the emotional scale. She's she's very much she's the logician in the family. She's a math major. Uh, she rarely cries at something on the television. Why would you cry about that? We were watching. We were watching the Muppet Christmas Carol and we got done and she goes, Oh, I, I got a little choked up there. I started crying. I was like, what was making you cry? She goes, that little frog that was going to die. I was like, of course. That's amazing. It's beautiful. It made my wife cry. Um, but yeah, just a great movie. Well worth your time. It's on Disney plus right now and you can rent it. Of course, the various places as well. All right. Well, thanks Dan. Thanks so much for joining us. It was super fun. Yeah. This has been a blast. All right. Well, this has been uh, the Fascinating Podcast, episode number 280. Our guest has been Dan Hernandez. Please reach out to him on Twitter. Uh, let him know you enjoyed having him on the show. We will be back next week with our last episode of the year. Until then, take care of yourselves out there. Stay home if you can. Wear your masks if you can't. And be well. <laughs> <laughs>